So I'm going to pray and we'll get into it. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. Thank you for our community and the communities across the world that are meeting uh, in your name on this, your, your Sabbath day, this day that you've given us uh, to remember you. Lord, as we continue with this conspiracy that we've embarked on, I pray that you would, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts and transform us from the inside out. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we're in week, kind of week-ish number two for the Christmas season, for the Advent season. And so how are you all doing? I talked to John back there, and he said his Christmas shopping is done. Anybody done? All do- we, got, we got some done? We got some, good, good. Anybody not start yet? Whoa. Got some procrastination. Wait, do that just one more time. And just keep your hands up. All right, it's the majority of guys. Oh, no, you know, I think it's half and half. We have women, we have women procrastinate. I love that. See, this is, this, is, this is a microcosm of the real world here at Oasis, you know? We're just not... But we're, we, as a church, as a community, we have, we want to begin to remember or continue to remember or redevote ourselves to the remembering that Christmas is about Jesus. And this is a special time of year that, that we celebrate the birth of Christ. It was a historical event that took place that began changing the world from from the moment he came into this world things changed and they continued to change and we've been talking for the last couple weeks how we can engage the deeper meaning of christmas that we wouldn't get all caught up in the cultural side of it that we're not just going to it's not just going to be what our social cultural setting uh, almost demands of us for this time of year, but that we want to put ourselves back into the Christmas story. We want to engage a biblical Christmas and still maintain that, that part of the, the cultural side of it because we don't want to be those holier-than-thou, you know, just, you know, wah, wah, Christmas has gone the wrong direction because, because we want to be the light in the darkness of the world. And if you're poo-pooing everything that has to do with the cultural Christmas, then people are just going to look down their noses at you and they're going to laugh. And they're not going to hear anything you might have to say. And so, but we want to engage the biblical Christmas, not only in, in our activity, but deep down in our very souls and in our hearts. And we're asking the question as we go through this thing called the Advent Conspiracy, can Christmas still change us? And maybe a, even a bigger question is, can Christmas still change the world? So last week, we kind of wrestled through this idea of worship. Not the external motions of worship, but an interior posture of the heart worship. And how they, that posture affects the way we live and the things that we say and the things that we do in Isaiah chapter 1, God calls his people out because they're going through all of the outward emotions of worshiping him. They're going through the festivals and the traditions and the rituals. But he says, your hearts are far from me. Isaiah 58. They're going, God, you know, we're fasting for you and you're not coming up and you're not showing up like we wanted you to. And God's like, really? But your heart is far from me. So they're going through all of these 
these exterior things of worshiping God, their heart isn't in it, and God's like, just, just stop. It's all become such a burden to me. I don't, you know what? I'm so flustered with you all that I don't even want to listen to you when you pray. Because worship is an interior posture of our heart, which then should affect our external way of engaging God in the world around us. And so we looked at the story of Mary and Joseph and the Magi and how their response to the first Christmas was one of worship. And it wasn't a showy worship. It wasn't, it wasn't easy for them, but it was worship. And that posture in their hearts brought them to action. Joseph had to flee with his family. The Magi came and they, were, they put their life on the line for to go visit this king. They visited Herod, who was a brutal king, to find out where the true king is. And Mary could have been divorced. She, I, I always wonder if, if the angel came and said, you know, you're going to be with child. And Mary, what would Mary, what would have happened if she said, no, not me. But she accepted that. And so we still ask the question, can Christmas still change us? And could Christmas change the world? And if we engage the story, we could, we could have this spiritual awakening in our hearts, in our souls. But you know, as I was thinking through this, we, we like to throw around like these, these really cool spiritual words like the word spiritual. And, and we get that in church. And we talk about the idea of worship. And we, we kind of we understand that in church world. But the next principle of this advent conspiracy is what i believe the rubber starts to meet the road it kind of works itself out in our everyday life and it's about the this idea of spending less and spending differently to spend less and to spend differently but spend less on christmas okay how many of you have said we're cutting back this year Mm-mm, nothing big, mom and dad, granddad, grandma, we can't afford it. We're just, we're just giving you little things. We're, we're, we're cutting back. Now, here's, here's what I think. If you actually cut back every year you said you were cutting back, you'd be giving nothing away this year to Chris, at Christmas. You'd be giving people a Coke and a smile, and that's it, just sending them on their way with a Christmas card. The time of year lends itself to, to excesses. I'm sure you're going to find yourself shopping much more this time of year. I'm sure you will find yourself eating much more this year. And we're going to decorate our houses. Some of you will. And, 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 and we're going to decorate inside, and we're going to be doing a lot of things, maybe at the office. We seem to add busy to an already busy life. I love the fact after Christmas you can find those videos and pictures online of those people, you know, that had a little bit too much eggnog at the office party and they're doing some really stupid things. I love that. <laughs> you know, and it's difficult to come to a point to say, what's, what's enough? Where, where do we draw the line in all this? Where, where can we engage and put ourselves back into the Christmas story, a Christ-centered story, and how do we continue to move through our culture and our social, social setting to be the light of the world? You see, spending, spending less 
is going to require some work and some research and some time and some effort. And again, we don't want to be a bunch of Ebenezer Scrooges. But to spend less, it's going to require you a little bit, a little bit of work. And you might even have to, God forbid, you might even have to cultivate some relationships to spend less. And relationships are a little bit more time-consuming than just getting up in the morning, logging on to Amazon.com, filling up your cart, buy now, and just waiting for them to send all your stuff. You've never left the house. Relationships require just a little bit more work. Now, it's, 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 kind, of a, it's kind of a scary thing to think about the spending less, because financially it makes sense. If you don't have money, then you guess you shouldn't spend the money. Or spending less is, is, is a good thing. But, see, we have, we have put this idea of, we, we have, we've taken money in the area of gifts and giving, especially around Christmas, and we associate it with, with love. And so we say good quality and good quantity equals how much you love someone. And if you spend less, you actually might send the message to people that maybe you don't love them as much as you did love them last year. That maybe they've taken a hit and they've kind of come down a few rungs on your love ladder. And so now, you know, you're getting, you're, you're, you're getting the re-gift that they got last year that they just really don't want. And it's a shame that we associate love with spending but what if those gifts that you started to think about, you actually started to think about? And they became personal. And they became creative. And you thought through it. Because you have a relationship with these people and you know, you know what they like, what they don't like, who they are. And instead of offering some token thing just to bring something over as a gift, that you spend some time thinking about it. Figuring it out. Maybe those people would experience love in a very different way. Maybe, maybe they'd even spirit experience the love of God. Now, I'm going to say this about that. Spending less is kind of vague. I mean, we know, we know what it means, but in, in relation to what? Do I spend less than I spent last year? Do I spend less than those people in my family or those people down the street or do I spend less than the average American person will spend? Or actually, that, it, there's, there's an average that every person in America, they say, will spend at Christmas, and it's about $900. So if you're a husband and a wife, your household will probably spend, on average, $1,800. Now, there's a lot of people that kind of make that go up because there's a lot of rich people that will get the Lexus with the bow on it this year. Uh, but, but, so, so, but that's, that's it. So, so do I spend less than that? Now, economists say that, the, that spending during this Christmas season, 2013, is going to rise between 1.7 and 2.5% because the population who is spending money has risen. So there's more people out there, and they're spending money. So, so what does spending less actually mean? What's the bar that I'm supposed to reach or not reach? But maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question isn't about spending less. Maybe we need to ask a better question. Maybe we ask, how much is too much? And what the, what the level or the standard of too much is? What's the barometer of, of too much? What's the benchmark? Is it Bill Gates too much? The dude's worth $67 billion. If that's the level of too much, then I am Saint Pastor Reverend Rabbi Dennis. 
because I will never quite get to that too much. So, so what, is, what, is, what, is the, what is the standard? And I think if we're going to talk about the too much, we have, to, we have to just, we have to put some things out on the table. As Americans, as Westerners, we have much. And we have much compared to the rest of the world. We have, I would say, too much compared to the rest of the world. And we've become kind of soft in our too much. And, and it's, again, it's a cultural thing. It's a social thing. These are the things that we need. These are the, need, want, you know, but, you know, this is, this is where we live. We don't live in the desert of, of Africa or in the Middle East somewhere. This is, this is how we do our lives. But we only make up 4.5% of the world's population, the United States. And we account for 19 to 20% of the uh, economic activity in the world. So how much is too much? Well, let's boil it down to maybe a, a more tangible type of question. How many shirts do I really need? Just one more? One more. One, that's it. That's all I really need. How many shirts do I really need? Now, there's an interesting story in, in the, the Gospel of Luke about John the Baptist, and, and I want to look at his story. And so, this, this, is, this is John, and, and John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, hmm, interesting, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Merry Christmas, right? And, and so there, that's, that's some really harsh words right there. They're kind of scary. But, but then he continues on. The people ask him, well, what should we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So that would mean that I have two shirts on today. I, would, I should take one of these off and give to somebody who doesn't have a shirt. It's pretty black and white. I get it. It, 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 makes, it makes sense to me. And what he's, t- what he's telling us is that this... This is the consequence of repentance. This is the consequence of a heart that's been changed by, the, by, by God. This is the consequence of a heart that goes, no more am I going to do things my own way, but I'm going to look to God and follow God's way. And the fruit of that is this idea of if, somebody ha- if you have two shirts, then you should give one to somebody who doesn't have it. And if you have food, then share your food. But that causes some questions with me in my westernized mindset. Okay, I get the food thing, but do I, do I go through my cabinets and all the things that we don't like? Do I give that food to people? Do I, do I give them the almost expired things? Do I bring it down to a food bank and allow the food bank to, to um, pass out the food? When I go shopping and I spend, say, $100 at Stop and Shop, should I buy a gift card for $100 and then wander around looking for somebody who doesn't have food and then give them that food? And oh, the shirt thing, the shirt thing just really freaks me out because is he, is he, talking, about, is he talking about two of the same shirts? Because I have a lot of shirts. 
I mean, I have short sleeve shirts and short sleeve shirts that, that have little button downs halfway down. They're, they're my golf shirts. I don't play golf too often, but I look good when I do. And, and I have these shirts and I have, I have t-shirts and they're short sleeve shirts and I have my work t-shirts and then I have the t-shirts, my Sunday t-shirts. I wear them under my, my nice, I have my, my, my Sunday shirts that I wear. This one has a stain on it and I'm really bummed about that. My daughter pointed it out. But I digress. And, and so I have, I have my Sunday shirts. And I have my dress shirts. I have three dress shirts. And I have matching ties to go with each of my three dress shirts. Because I have one suit. But it all works well. It's like granimals, you know what I mean? Everything matches. But I have more shirts than that. I have sweatshirts. I have thermal shirts. I have sleeveless shirts. I wear those when I go to nursing homes. I like to intimidate the old people. But, but, but I mean, but that's, that's just me. And so I have, I have a lot of shirts. And so, and so what, am I, what am I supposed to do with this, with this idea? I mean, in my cultural setting, I don't think that I can get away with just having one shirt. Now, I know that people around the world have only one shirt. I, I understand that. And I've met some of those people. I've looked at them face to face in their eyes. But, but, but how do I deal with this, with, with this fruit of repentance, of a changed heart. See, I think we have to dig down a little bit deeper beyond just the, the surface level of what's being said here. We in the West desperately need balance. We in the West desperately need to balance the things that we really need and the things that we want we need to balance the things that we want and need with the needs of others and others that are, that are a town over in either direction. That's, that's what I believe is, is being said here, that, that, that we need to really look at ourselves and the things that we have and come into a place of, of being balanced. So, so how much is too much? How many shirts is too many. How many pairs of shoes? One more, right, Eileen? <laughs> How many pairs of shoes is too many? And to spend less? Well, if I spend less, then I won't have all of these things. But you know, as I shop, and I think about this idea of spending less, I'm looking for the best price, the cheapest price. I want to be, be a good steward with, with the money that God has given me. But I think we have to understand and realize that sometimes spending less or looking for the cheapest price can come with a very large human price attached to it. There can be extreme consequences to our purchases that we make. Like are we, are we supporting an organization or a company that's, that engage in morally wrong activities? I mean, do we know where they stand on certain issues that, that, that would be biblical principles? Do they go against them? And I guess even a better question is, do we care? And, 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 and are we supporting companies that treat their workers fairly? Because we have all have clothes that come from around the world. And we have no idea what those workers are being paid, the conditions that they're working in. We, we have no idea. And are we supporting companies that are, that are treating their employees fairly? And the question is, do, do, we, do we care? I mean, that's the bigger question. Do, 
we care? Can the, the principles of the Advent conspiracy of, of worshiping and spending and, and giving and loving, can those principles hang with us, stay with us for the entire year, not just, not just around Christmas? Can they stay with us all year long? But then, then you get to thinking, spending less. I, I mean, does that, make really, does that make good sense to spend less? Our economy is somewhat based upon uh, consumer spending. Many retailers look for this time of year as a major source of their, their income. And they hire more people during this time because things get busier. And people have jobs because of consumer spending. And if we spend less, then will people lose their jobs? And, and job loss has a trickle-down effect throughout the entire economy. So is it a good idea to spend less? But here's what I want you to understand. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about spending less. I'm not talking about spending nothing at all, which none of you will do this Christmas. C- can you honestly say that there, there's a person in here over the age of 18 that is going to spend not a dime have nothing to do with spending for the Christmas holiday. Nobody can say that. We are going to be spending. And so maybe we can begin to consider what we will spend our money on. The things that we buy from the companies, the products, the people, the causes. See, sometimes spending less is a good thing, but sometimes spending more makes better sense than spending less. That we could spend and the proceeds can go to, to a worthy cause, to organizations that are helping the quality of life of people around the world, that are giving back to the communities that they're a part of, that are helping people and entire communities get back on their feet. Now, I know, I know that we don't need more knickknacks and scarves and sweaters and and we don't need more, you know, T-shirts and jewelry and, and those things. But, but here's the thing. You're going to buy them anyway this year. You are going to purchase these things. So why not spend on an organization, spend with an organization that helps people, that some of the proceeds to what you're already going to be spending goes to help people in need, communities in need. I don't, I don't think when I spend, I don't really ask myself the question of who or what is my purchase supporting. And maybe, maybe I should. I did some research on the internet. Here's a few websites, harrys.com. And if, if you want a copy of these, we have little cards on the back. OneWorldFootball.com. You buy a football from them and they give a football to kids around the world. Who, and it's not this football, it's this football. Out of print clothing gives money back. Rage Against the Minivan. I love that one. Rage Against the Minivan has somewhere over 50 different websites that you can explore and research. And you can buy things that support good causes around the world. They give back to the communities that they're a part of. People, women trying to earn money in Uganda, making jewelry and selling it, they receive that money. Over 50 websites you can click on and look through. 
Because see, sometimes spending more makes better sense when we help people with our spending. So it is possible, I believe, to purchase and to spend with compassion and responsibility. Because see, the problem isn't capitalism. The problem is individualism. See, I look out for myself, I look out for my family, and we look out for our bottom line. And so I make choices about what we're going to spend and how we're going to spend based upon how it really affects us. And you know what? It's my right. I'm an American. And that's, and that's true. But many times our spending choices are devastating the lives of people that we know nothing about Some of you, I want you to take this challenge and you can go home today and look at the labels of some of your clothes and see if some of those clothes, shirts, pants, whatever, that some of those clothes might have been made in Bangladesh. Last year in Bangladesh, a factory in the garment district collapsed because it was just a poor factory. It was just falling apart. A thousand people were killed. Hundreds more were wounded. We might own clothes that have come from that part of the world, that district, maybe even that factory. And as Jesus followers, in our ignorance, we've become part of the problem. And ignorance is never a good excuse. Christ came to give life and to give it in abundance. He came to set the captive free. And some of the things that we purchase and spend our money on keep people in the socioeconomic captivity and it just trickles down into all parts of their lives. Let's look at what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians. Our desire is that our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but there might be that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in return, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one, who ha- the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. He's talking about the Old Testament when they were gathering manna. See, what the principle Paul is talking about here is that we're, we're, we're not to just give away everything so that we become poor and other people get rich. What he's talking about is an is a economic equality. And this has nothing to do with the political agenda. This has nothing to do with the redistribution of wealth or any socialist tendencies or anything like that. So just chill. This has everything to do with the Jesus follower's heart and what we worship. Where, where is our affections focused on? What Paul is talking about here is the Gentile churches were experience material wealth. And because of the Jewish people, they were experiencing um, spiritual blessing. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you, you've all been blessed. Now, now go, go bless other people with the blessings that you've been given. And it's not such a far stretch for us to think about that. But yet many times, the only time we think about that type of thing is around Christmas. You got that guy who I think they hire them and they train them to look a little bit on the pathetic side, ringing the bell out in front of the store. And so you want to, you, you throw the money in. But that's the only time for many of us that we think about giving, giving outside of the normal ways that we can give. And Paul is telling them, you've been blessed. Now, bless other people. 
Because someday, one day, the shoe might be on the other foot and you will need the blessing. And, and, and through this whole thing, we need to recognize that the reason we give is because we have recognized that God has blessed us and given us much and that we, from a heart of worship, want to give it back. You see, if, if we are motivated to give, because we recognize the grace of God in our lives and the blessings that we have, and we give from that posture, that interior posture, then God is not only honored, but he's worshipped. It's a form of worship. But now, if, if you just want to give because I'm up here ranting and raving about it, and you, you know, just throw something else in there, just, just, just get this over and done with. Or if, if you, if you want to look good in front of other people, if you want to just, you know, look at me, I'm actually throwing a bill into the red pot and not my spare change. You know, keep your money. Keep your resources. Keep your time. God sees the hearts. And we want to give from a place of worship in our hearts and not just some external show to make ourselves look good or even try to feel good. See, God's message from the very beginning of history that he said, from your hearts, we would gather what we need, we would share what we can, and we would never hoard his blessings. And then in First Timothy, it says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Acquiring more and acquiring the better is not the focus of our lives. Godliness is about engaging our heart in an active expression of our faith that we say that we have. It's about this, this covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, we find our sufficiency in him and in him alone, whatever our outward circumstances might be that Christ is enough. He is sufficient. He is enough. Find, trying to find contentment in the things that we can get and the things that we can possess is like a dog chasing its tail. Not only, are, not only do you look stupid and you're gonna make yourself dizzy, but you'll never get there. You will never get there. We have brought nothing into this world and we're gonna leave taking nothing with us. Money Possessions cannot pass through the veil of death. If it could, I think I would have been born much better resourced. And so everything we've worked for, we've worked all our lives to own, to buy, to accumulate, one day is gonna end up either in a trash heap or a landfill or it's gonna be melted down or it's gonna be burned up. Merry Christmas. Even the breath of life that we've been given when we're born, which is a beautiful picture 
of the story in Genesis when God breathes life to the man and woman. When a baby is born, the first thing they do is they inhale. And then when God calls us home, the last thing we do is exhale and give that breath of life back. We take nothing with us when we leave. And Paul says, if you have food and clothing, we're going to be happy and content. Just food and clothing. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. But here's, here's the thing, and I, I think we need to keep it real. Um, I don't believe I would be completely content with that, <laughs> just being honest. I live in Southington, Connecticut. And in Southington, Connecticut, I have a wife and two children. And I think they deserve a place to live. Now, it doesn't have to be our house. I understand that. could be an apartment. could be a smaller apartment. But they, they should have a roof over their heads. And if I'm only going to have one shirt, I'm going to need a way to wash it. I'm going to need water. And, and we have winters here, and so I need, I need heat. And light so that my children can study and I'm going to need money so I can buy certain things so they can at least have the basics to get through their lives. So, so really food, just food and, and clothing, and, and I'm going to be content? Here's, here's what I believe Paul is talking about. He's not endorsing poverty. He's, unless the Lord is calling you to give everything away, and, and, <laughs> and, and he has called some, some, many to do that. But I don't believe he's saying that we have to live an impoverished life to be close to God. I believe what he's talking about here is, is, is a godly life, is a, a, a life that's lived from the heart of understanding what Christ has done for us, that we've been forgiven. I believe that life is a, is a simplistic life. We live in a way that's simple, Henry David Thoreau said, a man is wealthy in proportion to the number of things he can afford to do without. A man is wealthy in proportion to the number of the things he can afford to do without. See, the lust of our hearts running hard after things and stuff in money and, and filling our coffers with as many things that we can get and getting the biggest checking account that we have and the biggest savings account. And that's our focus. That's the lust and the desire of our heart. That's what the trap is. That's where people have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's a lust of the heart. And so we as a church would we be willing to rethink our spending, in some cases to spend less, in some cases spend differently, and when it makes sense that we would spend even more? But how much more? How much, how much do we give? If we've been blessed, is there a percentage? Is there a formula? How much, wh wh what do we do? How do we figure it out? C.S. Lewis said the best way to break the power of wealth over a man's soul is to give the wealth away. But he said there is no formula for it. 
This is, this is what he would write out of mere Christianity. I'm going to read it from the book, but it's going to be on the screen. You could follow along. Some people nowadays say that charity ought to be unnecessary and that instead of giving to the poor, we ought to be producing a society in which there were no poor to give to. They may be quite right in saying that we ought to produce that kind of society. But if anyone thinks that, as a consequence, you can stop giving in the meantime, then he has parted company with all Christian morality. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charity, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I would say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. And so as we wrestle with this idea of too much, as we wrestle with this idea of spending, spending less is really only half the equation. I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and transform us, we need to learn what it means to spend differently. God, I want to thank you for your word and that you've caused it to be written. Thank you that it can speak to us. Lord, I pray, continue to pray that you would transform the hearts of your people. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would walk in new, a new depth and intimacy with you. Thank you that you love us where we are, right where we are. And thank you that you love us so much you don't want us to stay here, but you want to move us beyond what we can ever imagine. Thank you for Christmas, God, the gift of Jesus. And I pray that we would live this gift every single day. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. I'll see you next week.